0: morning's reading can be found on page 1066. It's John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John also was baptising at Anon, near Salim, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, "'Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing." And everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth, and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on
1: them. Great, thank you. We do keep the passage open, that'll be helpful as uh, we refer to it. And uh, we're going to spend some time this morning thinking about pride, um, what the Bible has to say about pride, um, which is probably different depending on, on who you are, really, and the kind of circles you move with. Let's, let's think about what, what it looks like in the church. <clears throat> I think pride is one of those sins, in my experience, that it's, it's generally fairly safe to confess to. Someone asks, you, you know, what, what kind of sins do you struggle with? You say, oh, I, I struggle with, with pride. It's probably not the kind of thing that someone's going to be phoning you up every day that week. You know, How's that going with that pride? You know, I've been praying for you every day in your struggle with pride. We, we don't think of it like that. It's a fairly safe thing to confess to. Uh, there's a guy called Jerry Bridges who wrote a, a book a, a few years ago called Respectable Sins. And in this book, what he's trying to do is bring out that idea. That in the church, we often talk about certain things that, that God speaks against as kind of respectable. You know, it's not the, the adultery or, or the murder or, or lying to your spouse, things that we know are, are definitely wrong. It's the things that we think, well, yeah, I know I shouldn't do that, but, but you know, that's just the way it is. But actually, God doesn't give us that, that, that kind of escape route because the Bible says sin is sin. All, all sin is falling short of the mark that God has set for us. It's so often now we talk about pride in Christian circles. But what about outside of Christian circles? How do, how do, how do most people talk about pride? Well, often pride is, is normally seen as a good thing, isn't it? We think about how pride is often spoken about in, in the workplace, in newspapers, in schools. Because pride is often seen as being the, the antidote to shame. People are feeling... Shame, well, well, the thing is, that you need to turn that around and just be proud about who you are or, or what you have done. Don't give in to shame, be proud. Perhaps it's an antidote to things like that, and to low self-esteem. Take pride in, in your appearance, pride in your work. But there's a problem here with that kind of thinking. The problem is, is it doesn't take actually that much for, for pride to kind of mutate into, into arrogance. Arrogance we know is wrong. You see, a person can start off by saying, yeah, I'm fine on my own. I'm fine on my own. But all too often, that can kind of mutate into turning and saying, actually, I don't need your help. I don't need anyone's help. Pride can mutate, and often does, into into arrogance. And then all of a sudden, it has effects on, on particularly on relationships. How pride begins to break down in, in relationships, and one way that looks is often in refusing to say sorry. If you're proud, if, if you've done something, but, but you're, you're proud, you, you just can't say sorry, then actually that creates a wedge in any relationship. But the Bible says it also affects our relationship with God as well. That's why we need to see pride for what it really is. It's not this respectable thing that we can just feel safe about confessing. But actually, it is an ugly sin. Which is why we need to think about wrestling with it. If you're a Christian here today, I want you to see that you have got a task to wrestle with pride. And if you're not yet a Christian, then I want you to see how actually pride is robbing you of a greater joy. Benjamin Franklin uh, Uh, a long time ago, wrote this. He says, There is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, kill it as much as one pleases. It is still alive. Even if I could imagine that I had completely defeated pride, I should probably be proud of my humility. So we get to this passage today. We're going through the beginning of, of John's Gospel. And we meet John the Baptist, who's different to John, who, who's writing this Gospel, John the Evangelist. John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin. And he is getting people for, uh, ready for Jesus. He is showing people that by being b- b- baptised, by being plunged down into water and brought up again, they need to be washed clean of all the mess in their life. And this passage helps us to think about, actually, John is a really good example of how we can wrestle with pride, whoever we are. And the three things we want to think about wrestling with pride, if you are committed to want to wrestle with pride in your life, three things we need to do. Firstly, give up on comparing. Secondly, redirect the glory when it comes. And thirdly, seek for what is better. Give up on comparing, redirect the glory, seek for what is better. Firstly then, give up on comparing. This is the way to really cut at the root of pride in our life. But it's something that a lot of us find really quite hard. find it all too easy to compare ourselves with others. Which either makes us feel proud or causes us to to go into despair. Let's look at what's happening in, in John the Baptist's life, shall we? So this is verses 22 to 23. So after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John also was baptising at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptised. So John, Baptist here, he's got this successful ministry that we've read earlier about in John's Gospel. And while it was his job, his ministry at first to be baptising people as a sign of, of being washed clean from all their sins, Well, actually, Jesus' followers now are doing it as well. Jesus' ministry is is escalating. Imagine uh, you live in a town and there's just one supermarket. And uh, if you want to go shopping, you just go to this one place. This is, you know, just imagine you can't get um, online deliveries or whatever. You go to this one supermarket. But then all of a sudden, a supermarket opens up next door. All of a sudden, people who used to rely on that one place have now got an option. They can go next door to get their groceries. And John is noticing, and his followers will see a noticing, that all of a sudden, all the people who were once coming to John, well, now they're going to Jesus' followers to be baptised instead. Which creates all sorts of problems if if your pride is found in what you do. But there's something else more serious going on here, which John uh, indicates in verse 24. He said this was before John was put in prison. We read later on that that John was sent to prison because he objected to Herod's marriage, which was unlawful. We shouldn't have done it. And as a result, John is put into prison and eventually beheaded. But one of the reasons why John could be taken into prison was because that he had fewer followers. We see that some of the religious leaders, even uh, in one of the Gospels, are afraid to speak badly of of John the Baptist because they know he had so many followers at the time. But there's an indication of what is at stake. It's not just John's pride on the lion here, but it's literally his head as well. It's partly the number of followers he had were part of his protection. So think about comparing them. It would have been really easy for John to compare his ministry with Jesus as he'd been initially so successful. And this causes more and more tension, and, and John's followers pick up on this. Look at verse 25 and 26 when they turn up. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, means teacher, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, they're talking about Jesus, Look, he is baptised and and everyone is going to him. There's hardly anyone coming to us now. So John's followers, they they come and they ask him, how do you feel about this, John? All these people who were once coming to you, they're now going to Jesus. You were the one that thousands were flocking to and now all the punters are elsewhere. Well, John replies to this tension in verse 27. It's an amazing response. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. In one sense, it would have been very easy for John to resent what was happening. Think about it. We turn up in church next Sunday morning here at the 10 o'clock service and 80% of the church have left and joined a new church down the road. It would be hard not to compare, to ask questions. What, what have we done wrong? Why, why are all the people left to go and join another church? But John's response is quite remarkable. He says we only have what we have because God has given us that. We want to break the cycle of, of comparing that leads to, to pride or, 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 or giving up. That has to start with realising and believing that What we have comes from God, from God alone. Whether that's our family, our our health, our friends, our good looks, our our job, our food, whatever it is, our skills, those things come from God. We're going to think more about that in in, in just a moment. But it's easy to pat ourselves on the back, isn't it? When, When we come home, we feel that we've done something well, that we deserve the recognition that we get, to feel proud, John doesn't do that, though. No, he says we only have what we've got because it has come from God. And he's the one we need to give thanks to. Like like we were giving thanks just now for, for all of the work of the people serving in our children's groups. It's great that they are doing it, but God is working through them. They are not to go away feeling proud of the good job that they are doing, but to give praise to God. And we do that as well for the way God is working through them to bless the children in our church family. It's so easy, though, to feel proud, isn't it? When we when we look around and think that we've earned more than others, it's hard. But if we're looking up, if we're looking to where these things have come from, then it's quite hard to be proud, because everything that we get just comes to us from God as a gift. And John sees that in verse twenty-eight. He makes it clear, something he's told his disciples before. He says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. Now, the Messiah is is the name for God's special king, God's rescuing king, Jesus. And John is saying, that's not me. I had a job, I was sent ahead of him. Actually, that's a really important job, isn't it? John had a really important job to do, sent from heaven, but it wasn't to be the saviour. It wasn't to be the Messiah. That was reserved for God's son. But John doesn't give in to comparing. He realises the job that he's got to do, but he doesn't go beyond that. Because he knows that what he has is a gift solely from God. So we need to give up on comparing for to break this cycle of pride in our life. Let's give up comparing to each other. I am not that other person. I am who God made me to be, to serve him with my gifts. So give up on comparing. Secondly, redirect the glory. And we see here how John understands his purpose. He is able to stop comparing himself and not to compare himself with others because he realises his purpose. Have a look with me at the beginning of verse 29 the bride belongs to the bridegroom the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice now time and time again in the bible when it's talking about the bride it is talking about the people of god people who have been brought into god's family Like a bride joined to her husband. That is the rich language that that God uses to describe his people, his bride. And John knows that his role is not to be the groom. That is reserved for God alone. He is to be the friend. He is to be the best man. Who is the best man? Well, The the best man is the person who helps to make celebrations for the big day so that the groom can concentrate on getting married. Now, this is a big deal. Standing next to to a groom on their wedding day, that's a really important thing to do. And what John's task is, is is incredibly important. Preparing the way for the groom, for Jesus, to come to his bride, God's people. But it is right, though, that the best man isn't centre stage. It's not what the day is all about. We don't come to see what the best man looks like. Imagine a wedding here. You've got, you've got the groom and the best man, and the door's flung open, the organ music plays, and the bride processes in on the arms of her arm of her father. It would be really inappropriate if at that point the best man was to jump up on the middle of the stage and go, I'm here! That's not the purpose of the best man. It's to support the groom, to get things ready so that the day goes forward as it should. That honour is reserved for someone else, not for the best man. But the best man instead, he finds his joy in helping to make it happen. And John sees that. Look at the second bit, verse 29. He says, that joy is mine. But he goes on to say, and it is now complete john sees his work is now coming to an end his role is fulfilled it is completed he prepared the way for jesus and now that is done sometimes if we take pride in what we do it can be really hard to give it up that might be in in work that might be looking after children Perhaps even in ministry. We take pride in what we do, it can be really hard to give it up because we feel that that's what defines us. But look what John does. When his task is finished, when his usefulness in one sense is finished, he doesn't despair. He doesn't try to keep on going in his own strength. His joy doesn't disappear. His joy is complete. It is full up. His joy is complete at completing what he had to do for God. And he sums it up like this in verse 30, which is a great little verse for us to remember. So we try to wrestle with pride. John says he, that is Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. He must become greater. I must become less. John sees that it is now the time for him to step back so that Jesus might get all the glory. So that's what he does. He steps back. To make sure there's nothing behind me. Steps back so that Jesus gets the limelight. That doesn't rob John of his joy. It completes it. He's finished the task that God called him to do. But this isn't easy is it no one finds it easy to step out of the limelight to step back at those times maybe when the the children move out and they all go to university and you found yourself questioning your role as a parent or when you when you retire and you finish that work this isn't easy but we do see here how John has the strength to do this it's by seeking for what is better one of the reasons why God doesn't want us puffed up with pride is because he knows that actually pride robs us of far greater treasures. Specifically, pride actually robs us of the joy of him. Pride robs us of the joy of God. Because there is no one like him. Verse thirty-one, thirty-five. John the Evangelist, who's writing this gospel, now pens these words and tells us that Jesus is far greater than anything that we could be proud of in and of ourselves. Verse 31. He is the one who comes from above. He is the one who comes from heaven. That is, there is no one like Jesus. There is no one like him. There never has been. There never will be. There is no one as loving. There is no one as powerful. There is no one as compassionate as this Jesus. There is no one like him. Verse 34 tells us that this heavenly one speaks actually with the power of heaven. How does he do that? Well, he he speaks life into being at the very beginning He calls men and women and children to follow him, to live lives that are different, costly, sacrificial lives. He speaks one day to come with judgment on all evil. There is no one like this Jesus. Verse 35, he has everything placed in his hands. This Jesus, the only son of God, has been given all authority by his father. There is no one like him. But pride would say that we don't need him. Or that we can just ignore him. Do you see how that's pure arrogance and robbing us of the greatest treasure we can ever know? We need to seek for what is better. For who he is and for what he has done. And what he can do in each one of our lives. Because this Jesus can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We see that in verse 36. It's kind of a summary on this whole chapter. John says, whoever believes in the Son, that's Jesus, has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. So by rejecting this Son, by choosing to be proud in our own achievements instead of humbly receiving the greatest treasure we could ever get, by rejecting this gift, by saying we don't need you, God, actually we just need to feel a bit better about ourselves, to not shift from that deepest form of pride comes with a warning that we will not see life, that judgment still remains, it hasn't been dealt with, because we refuse to come to the one who can save us from that judgment. You see why pride is so dangerous. But what does John say the other side is? Well, to believe is life. To believe, to stand before him today and in humility say, I need you, Jesus. I need you to save me from this pride and this arrogance that I see in my heart. It is sin. It's not respectable. I need saving from that and and all other sin. Please save me, Jesus. At that moment to believe is to then receive eternal life. That's what John's been getting to in this whole chapter. And this is the way to get rid of our pride. By being humble before Jesus, who he is, what he can do for us, it smashes pride into a million little bits. So let's have no more talk about it in our churches as this respectable thing. Of course, we want to be confessing our our sins to one another. And let's not think that pride is the way to overcome shame and low self-esteem. But instead, let's look to the cross and see that God so loved us that he gave us his son to die for you and to die for me. Let's not let pride rob us of that joy that we can find alone in Jesus. Let's look to him. and Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would Help us to be wrestling with pride in our life. Lord, help us not to compare ourselves to others, but to see actually how you've made us each to serve you. Lord, when we receive praise for things we've done, help us to redirect that glory so that you get all the glory. And Lord, help us to seek for what is better. Help us not to let pride rob us of joy in you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.